0: Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I'm a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Everyone, and welcome to the final episode of Season 2. Um, I am joined today with Joanna Bennett, who appeared on actually the first interview episode of this season. Um, so we're coming full circle, and just as I did in last season, I'm having someone interview me um, just to wrap up kind of this period, this series. I wanted to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts people, um, I've been sharing a land acknowledgement before every episode um, for two seasons now, and it's starting to get more familiar. Um, I even am trying to integrate it into kind of introductions of myself in other spaces, um, and I think that part of the, like this idea of like unlearning is to practice, right, and then just bring it into other into your life in other ways. But you don't have to go big the first time you do something, but You can start small and then to your level of comfort, just expand your practices. Um, So with that said, I'd like to hand it over to Joanna because she will be running the show from here on out. Thanks for passing
1: over the reins, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As the universe kind of works, I've been um, listening to a guided meditation at bedtime for the last couple of weeks on Insight Timer. Um, from one of my favorite meditation teachers, Epek um, Williamson, and she starts this meditation with a quote from Chinese philosopher um, Lao Tzu, and it makes me think of your um, podcast season two on the topic of unlearning. The quote is, to attain knowledge, add things every day. To attain wisdom, remove things every day. Have you ever heard that quote before, Lisa?
0: I think I have probably I've I've, you know taken some classes on like Chinese history and things like that so I'm sure I hadn't thought about it in the context of this season though.
1: What do you think it means to you after thinking about what you've learned this season and the topic of unlearning and then listening to those words does it bring anything up?
0: Absolutely I mean I think that the idea of unlearning is that we have acquired all this knowledge throughout our lifetimes and the action of unlearning is really taking that knowledge, kind of breaking it down, and re- removing the things that don't serve us anymore, and and bringing in new things that may serve us better, or just adapting what's there and kind of just taking away kind of the extra that is no longer needed. So it definitely resonates.
1: And now after doing all of your, how many episodes did you have for season two, by the way?
0: Ooh, I don't Do you know. Have... Um, right. I think there are about 10 to 12 interviews I think okay and after
1: doing all those interviews what is your interpretation I guess of unlearning and how it mean what it means to different people and what it means to you like the difference from perhaps before and then after so before Mm -hmm. you had all these sessions and then after you had all these sessions where has your thought process gone
0: It, it was you know it was very like affirming to me that the that we all have similar ideas of unlearning Um, Not exactly the same definition, but so much of it was um, going back to our childhood and and really dismantling things that may have that we have brought into our lives that no longer serve us, Um, and then using that to kind of better the world. And that's that's been the theme. And if you listen to like, I kind of want to create this like montage of everyone's definition of unlearning, but if you if um, you were to listen to each of this um, episodes and everyone um, answered the question, like, what do you think unlearning learning is it's all very similar. It's just that there's just little ways of, you know, just little nuances because of the person's background. Um, but it makes me think of so many like principles out there, like how to be a good person or how to pray or how to, you know, like there's just these general ideas that are out there that are universal, except that our interpretations of them slightly differ do you think that
1: that differing is more nuanced or do you think it has like a greater impact?
0: Oh, that's a good question. The, I think it depends on what you do with that difference, right? The difference is definitely nuanced. Um, It's just that whether you see that difference as something that makes the whole stronger or tears you apart, makes you like better than someone else. Or makes you or makes that person of a different level of some sort. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, I know that your podcast was originally put on just as like um, a podcast for mothers, all the things for mothers. Um, And it seems like season two might have deviated a little bit from that. Um, Would you agree or would you disagree?
0: I think that there were, well, there's a few thoughts on that. Motherhood. Is all-encompassing. Um, it's also universal, and <laughs> I think that even if you're not a mother, you can learn about motherhood because you are a child, and you likely, you know, were born from a mother. And whether you knew them or not, whether you know all your mothers or not, um, there is an impact to that. So um, Raphael in one of the later episodes, he said, I, he um, is a former campaign organizer and he said, I can't go to someone and say that I know what it feels like to be a, a parent, but I know what it feels like to be a child. And I think that in order for us to unify and like to really understand other people, we really have to develop empathy. And so while I believe that this season's topics have been broader um the application of it to motherhood is was my intention i also believe that though if someone came upon the podcast and thought that there was value to them that's also valid too like i listen to podcasts of all different genres and all different target audiences that don't necessarily fit um and i still get value from them because it's taking in someone else's perspective and it's really integrating into my own and really making it my own. And if we're in an echo chamber, we will blindly just adopt ideas without that kind of like nuance and that kind of integration. But if we actually put ourselves in a position where we're listening to a podcast or we're in a a circle of people who don't think like us or who are talking about something that we may necessarily not like, be able to uh, um, identify with 100%, but we can take that information and really use our, our value system, use our belief system, and make it our own. Yeah,
1: that's important. One of the words that stuck out when you were talking um, was empathy, and um, I'm just curious what your thoughts on our, um, unlearning and empathy together.
0: Oh, unlearning and, and empathy. I think that as when, you know, we learned things, well, let's back it up. I, I think that people have empathy within them and depending on how you're raised, you or what you experienced, you have different levels of it and a different understanding of like how to approach it. Um, But if you look at kids, right, they care for other kids, they'll take care of them and all of that. So in terms of empathy and unlearning, you know, I was saying to someone that empathy requires for us to be able to place ourselves in other people's shoes, right, and understand their perspectives. Unlearning then is very much part of that because if we don't actually, if we can't actually do that, if we can't actually take ourselves from point A to point B where someone else is standing and we'll never understand fully what that person's going through. But if we can expose ourselves to other experiences and in some way find that connection with that other person, then that will lead to a greater understanding of yourself. And to me, that's what unlearning is. It's really just getting to the core of who we are um, and to be able to live a life where we can confidently speak our mind and what we believe in. Um, And then of course, layered on top of that is like, you know, I want also people to understand others. And so when you're doing that, you're also doing it from a place of being in connection and in community with other people.
1: I also think as you're talking now about just the biases that we have as humans and just our brains and how they work and how it's so difficult sometimes to be empathetic because of some biases that we've created in our minds. So it's almost unlearning those in a way that we were never taught because we're taught as children certain things to like or certain things to dislike or certain things to be afraid of um, just by our environment. So, like, we learn those things as we grow up. We we, we weren't born with biases. We learn them. So it probably has a really big idea to do with like the brain and how it just functions and learning and empathy go hand in hand.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the thing is um, when you're, when you were talking about that, it makes me think, you know, we are wired for safety and security. So if we grow up in an environment where we identify as X, we are going to find safety and security in identifying as X and supporting that. And also if we're raised in an environment that said it's either X or it's nothing at all, then we are going to have to hold on to that because as human beings we are wired to we, we need community we need other people around us and our immediate first community is going to be our family or our you know that inner circle so in order for us to step outside of that and if we were raised in that kind of environment we need to be able to identify what we were born into and what we have adopted and what we truly believe. And Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend yesterday and I said that you have to understand like the separation of like who you are right now and who you were as a child. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even before that, right. Like I I said, you know, your kids were, your, your kids came into this world as who they are. And, you know, she said something like, I don't, you know, I don't really recognize my kids anymore. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> like I barely know them. And I said, no, you know who they are. You know who your kids are, who they are right now may be incongruent with who you think they are, but that doesn't mean you don't know who they are. I think there's a very big difference there.
1: No, I agree. And, and hearing you say that, I think about, um, we grew up in the need to be secure and to attach to our family members. And then we learn, and what you were basically saying was like attachment theory. Like you learn which, what is safe How do you need to behave to get the attachment that you need? And it's almost as we grow up, we have to unlearn some of our unhealthy, because none of us were raised in an environment that everything was peaches and wonderful, and we were always hugged and attuned with every time we needed it. Like There will always be some sort of wounds, Um, but we need to learn and unlearn what those wounds are and learn and commit to being a better person. Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that also this um, separation, or I think about like the teenage years and how it's, rebellion is kind of like, that's just the stage of it because identity is in flux. You know, um, independence is kind of new and and kids are kids. Teenagers are trying to understand who they are. And so they will deviate from that. And I think that it's going to be really interesting when I I'm a parent to teenagers, right? <laughs> and you too. Like how we actually handle that because knowing knowing that this is what the brain is doing, how much do we actually allow, how much do we let the leash go? And, and mm-hmm. or if there was ever a leash, do we we do we try to put a leash on? Like whatever it may be, but like how do we actually allow people that we're raising to to move away and come back and move away and come back? And how much independence do we give them it, in becoming their own person I mean I'd, I'd love to say like I would love to give 100% independence mm-hmm. and yet at the same time it's like you you know we have our own fears of safety and security for our own children right and so there's this like weird very interesting ebb and flow and I yeah. think it'll be much more interesting as they gain their independence and like I see kids on the you know down my, down on my street like driving and you know just like a couple years ago they weren't and I don't know, it's. Um, a lot to look forward to.
1: It's funny. I was in my daughter's therapist office the other day and there was a woman sitting across from me and her and I were just chatting when our girls were in their sessions. And she had, her youngest was there who was 13. And then she had an 18 year old and a 21 year old. So just hearing from a mom that was at a completely different level. Um, And then from my experience, like sometimes I feel like, do I tell people I'm divorced? Like, do I not Like, that I'm a single mom? Cause I'm not sure like how certain people will like approach that or will they shut down the conversation? Will they look at me different? Which is something I probably have to unlearn just to be comfortable with myself. (laughs) Um, But having her affirm and she was like, yeah, I'm a single mom too. And it was hard, but she was telling me how like her 21 year old rebels, but wants to sit and have the conversation with her. Like, she'll say this is wrong and, and, and you're wrong because of this. And this is how I feel. And by talking with her, I almost felt like she was probably doing a really good job because her daughter, who was 21, who didn't have to be there anymore, felt comfortable sitting there and telling her something that was wrong. Like, I feel like as a child, even as a 21-year-old, I would never go to my mom and say, this is what you did wrong. Like, I might express it in other ways, but I wouldn't feel comfortable to sit down at the table and have a conversation about it. It would just be in some sort of angst or something like that, so... It was interesting to talk to a woman who had children much older and and the things that she had gone through, but I hope that my kids would feel comfortable. Obviously, I think you'd feel the same at that age to be able to sit down and say, mom, you're wrong because of this. And we'll say, let's talk about it. Let's hash it out.
0: Yeah, Definitely. I love that. I love that you were able to find that connection in a place that, you know, it could have gone anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things I feel like I was scared about being a mom was like making mom friends. And then it's just seemed to be so much easier than I thought, like everyone's really just a person, and if you treat them that way, they just want to talk to you like they would anyone else.
0: Yeah, I think that moms are like from my experience, speaking to you know, I haven't spoken to all the moms, um they want they want to connect, like the community, the village, like all of that is really important, and the more real we can be in conversations with each other the better off we're going to be because it's been rainbows and unicorns up until now, you know, behind closed doors. And I've been saying, I said to a friend um, a little bit ago, he was like, we were on a Zoom call or something and the kids were all over the place. And he's like, you're doing a really great job. I was like, you know, there's something to be said about being in a village and being in a wide open space with other moms, because like how much better are we as moms when we almost have this accountability, right, to mm-hmm. other people. And that's not to say, like, you should be a fake person. It's just to say that even just having that connection and being in the presence of, w- of someone actually gives you more patience in the situation. And okay. it's that, like, social nervous system thing that I don't know 100% about, but it's that connection. And, and then you're like, oh, I, can- I have, like, a resource that I can turn to when I feel overwhelmed in this situation. And it's not like, oh, I, oh he's watching, so I got to be good. It's like, no, he's there and, and he's going to help. Um, he's supporting me and just being there. Mm-hmm. It's almost
1: like a co-regulation, I feel like, because we're seen and we feel seen. And that's one of the most powerful things of being a human being. And they're like, your kid's being crazy and that's okay. Or like, your kid's being good and that's okay. And and when you're in with the right group of mothers, there's not like the judgment and any of that kind of stuff, which I've been fortunate enough to not really be on the receiving end of as often or frequently. Um, But they empower you like, oh, my kid did that last week. And this is how I dealt with it. I don't know if it was right or wrong, but you could take what you want from it. And you can have that open dialogue where you don't feel like you need to be right all the time, which I think is something that I don't know if necessarily my parents are just the generation struggled with, like you wanted to have perfect kids that did the perfect things. And you thought that they came out with like this predetermined set of what their life is going to be, not realizing how much like nurture really plays into it. Mm. Um, And I think that that's something that goes hand in hand with unlearning. Like we're unlearning improper parenting tips by just opening up and being ourselves. Like maybe we're lucky to have experienced that, maybe there still are a lot of moms out there that get the um, condescending looks and whatnot. Um, but I think that's all part of unlearning, and our generation is really working on that.
0: I think so. I think that what's really interesting is the pendulation of of parenting and how there and, and this happens. I think it's happening individually very much so, and I don't know about collectively. But when we think about like in previous generations, the permissive parenting, right? Like, let's just say that's one kind. And then so as a, as a mom, you know, who was raised in a permissive environment, we may think, oh, we don't want to do that. We mm-hmm. want to go the other way. We're going to be like, just, we're going to be authoritarian or we're going to just make sure that we know what our kids are up to or we're going to control every aspect of it and, and all of that. And I, and I feel like there's this pendulation because of the trauma little tea trauma that is, that happened as children we're like oh there's that happened to me I don't want that so I'm going to go the de- complete other way without any sort of regulation without any sort of understanding of like how do I actually feel about that instead of oh I'm just going to go the other way because the way that I was raised was wrong or or um the way that I raised I was raised was right and we're going to stay on this other end of it and so there's these like extremes and I and I think that the unlearning as mothers that we need to do is to somehow land in the middle and in the middle, meaning that it's where we're we're settled in ourselves and that we can actually parent as ourselves. Right. Um, And not parent with the idea of perpetuating or reversing the traumas that we experienced through our, and then passing that through our children, passing whatever belief that is through our children.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so powerful thinking of, um, I've read a book by this gentleman named Thomas Hubel, and he talks about generational trauma. And I just, the idea that, like, we do certain things as patterns, and until we we choose to repeat patterns or we choose to evolve, and there's really, like, a really powerful, um, like, a really powerful idea to just be able to, like, evolve and to learn the things that were wrong and to not say, like, this was so bad, I can never recover from it but to then get like earned attachment if you didn't grow up with secure attachment and you can earn it yourself and you can unlearn the patterns that you did. And then you can be like you, what you were saying before, I remember my mom, a a phrase she was, you say, was like, I'm not your best friend. I'm your parent. And just like, I want to be my kid's best friend, but she had it. She had it as like a best friend meant that we were going to get in trouble together. We were going to do certain things together. And we were going to have this like bond that wasn't authoritarian in a way. And, and for me, like to be my daughter's best friend just means that she'll feel comfortable talking to me. She'll feel comfortable, like having a conversation with me. She can come to me if she has questions about things and I might not know the answer. And I'll tell her that I don't always need to know the answer. So I feel like that's part of unlearning too, with that goes along with what your season was about. Like we need to unlearn and evolve.
0: Yeah. And I would say that, you know, to me, when you said those two things, I was like, yes, there is Also, the need to understand if it's a false sense of evolution and a true sense of evolution. And you can't do that without community. Without community, without a self-awareness, without resources. Yeah, it's, I, I think that I would add in another branch to that tree.
1: No, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So thinking about Lisa before season two and Lisa after season two, has there anything that you specifically made a direct decision like to unlearn or was this more of just like a, uh, a wide topic idea that you cast a big net so you could understand.
0: It was definitely a wide net. Um, Just. I had another, I had like women's health being kind of the topic I was going to embark Mm -hmm. on for this season. And then I was looking through a lot of my notes um, on unrelated things. And I, and it was actually, I think it was a class I was taking, or some prompts I was responding to in Jeanette LeBlanc's class. And Jeanette was a guest on season one. Mm-hmm. And there was the word unlearning, and I looked at it, and I'm like, that's it, that's what the season's going to be like. It tends to happen that way when I see something, and I'm like, oh, like I got to, that's what I got to do, um, and I'll run with it. And honestly, I mean, you could, you could pen the whole, you know, the whole two seasons as unlearning. Honestly, it just depends on how you frame it um and i've also taken a lot right from each guest because it's i'm very much unlearning as i'm taking in information and kind of keeping what is is going to work for me and what and then releasing what doesn't work for me one thing i've been trying to consciously do is remove the word but as much as possible and um there was a an episode earlier on with Meredith Keith Church and she was speaking and I knew and you know, you can anticipate, you anticipate what people say. And so she's talking and, and I was anticipating her to say, but a lot of times I like to do this, but I, whatever. And then I noticed that she wasn't. And for whatever reason, it was just this like moment. I'm like, Can I ask you, like, I'm noticing this in your language. Can I ask you why you use and? She was was saying and instead of the word but. And then she said, well, the word but actually, like, basically negates everything you said beforehand. So this is about almost like intersectionality. It's about nuance. It's about layers. It's not about this bucket over here and this bucket over here. It's kind of all in the same bucket. And we are kind of combining it all that's not what she said but that's the just the, my interpretation of what she said mm-hmm. and I really took that to heart I was like oh what if I did change that about my language and it's also weird because as a writer right you kind of have mm-hmm. your own way of speaking and writing and I'm I've consciously and mm-hmm. it's still really hard for me it's been almost two months I've been trying to work with this idea and also when to say, but that's actually effective. And also what other words I'm saying, instead of, but I'll say while, or at the same time um, to kind of make it more palatable to me because my brain and mostly my brain, right. <laughs> wants to say, but, and I'm trying to kind of reframe it and work with it and, it's a very it's also a filler word in many instances right Mm -hmm. so even that conscious shift has been really interesting in shifting so that's one really big thing that I've taken away from this season
1: I love that and I and I just said I love that one of the things I try to avoid using is the word that so I should probably
0: (laughs) edit that
1: part out um (laughs) Every time I write something, I search for that and I delete all the ones that I use inappropriately because I feel like that's one word in my vocabulary that I overuse, but is also a one.
0: Can I ask you what you, why you would replace that? A lot of times you don't need it. I, if I search for my
1: sentences that include the word that, if I delete it, it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. I just use it as a filler word. Hmm. Not all the time. I mean, I don't remove every iteration of the word. That's not fair to But to me, it's a filler word, and it's just something I use subconsciously.
0: What do you and think And it's something about that?
1: that my editor, so my my partner, Mark, he edits most of my work, and he noticed it. So he, he would always, like, strike them out in certain instances. And I noticed a couple times that there were certain ones and multiple, uh, multiple words in the same document. And I would say, you know what? I really didn't need it in there. I don't know why I use it
0: going ask you filler words in writing and filler words in speaking what are your thoughts Ooh.
1: it's easier to go back to something you've already written and take out filler words <laughs> when you're speaking it's something that you have to do more consciously because you're not you're not thinking of how distinctly you use your words and speech as you are when you write because you can't go back and delete them yeah so when you were talking about that moment in your um meeting i forget exactly who was the woman that you said meredith didn't like to... meredith meredith church is that what you said meredith keith church meredith church now were there other memorable moments from this season that that stick out in your mind about like certain people that you did interview
0: oh my gosh i could i could go through each one right and just point them out um i don't ha- i don't I feel like I should come to these conversations. Like next season, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have them all on the side. I'm gonna be ready to speak about every single no! one.
1: No, um, you didn't know what I was gonna ask you, but I could no, pull them true. up and ask you individually. Yeah,
0: that would be great. Um, so you said
1: I was the first episode. So why don't we start the there? First
0: episode, and then so, well, um, I don't know. So what, what was a
1: memorable thing that I said to you, Lisa? <laughs> oh
0: my gosh, I, I think that what what was really interesting in our conversations was how like I feel like academic you're coming from this with like you've done so much reading and the way that you speak about it it's that we have all these words for these things that some people have come upon like very naturally and then some people have come upon very like scholastically if that's a word i don't even know (laughs) yeah um and also you know the the conversation we had about your being a single mom and really understanding that journey, because I, I think that that was one of the first conversations I had with someone who is a single parent and, and, and at that level, right? Not just kind of surface level, but understanding kind of your journey and the reasons why and the liberation that comes with being separated from a relationship of that sort um, was really eye-opening for me, and I think that other people felt the same way. I heard some feedback about that. Oh,
1: thank you. <laughs> All right, next, Mira, Mira Rao, is that how you say it?
0: Oh, Mira. She, so, so interesting. She's, um, she does trauma work and, and works with yoga and somatics And it's, somatics is something I'm still very much trying to get the language around with her conversation. It was even just being in the presence. And I remember in a, and I don't know if it was in like a pre-call with her. Um, it wasn't a pre-call with her because I asked her about what she did. And then she kind of started talking and I have this, the thing I'm trying to work on where when people start talking about their work, I get triggered and I'm like, Oh, what do they want from me? You know, what are they trying to sell me on? Um, and so I was very open with her. I said, you know, you were talking, I'm really interested in what you do. And at the same time I'm feeling this, like, and she's like, I noticed that Like, I noticed. I was like, why is she feeling this way? And I think that what I, uh, just what I learned from her was just like the level of awareness you can have in, in being in company with someone else. And, and that that's something certainly we are all just kind of wired to do. And some people have have more connection with that part of
1: mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And I, I love this word. This year is one of my favorite words, attuning. I feel like that's exactly what it is. Some people have a easier time attuning with others and some have a trickier time, which is why I feel like some people go into therapist work and You know my boyfriend's a psychiatrist, and the way he talks to his patients, I'm like, you're just so amazing. Like, I don't know if I would be able to, like, get on someone's level like that. Like, it's very energy, and sucking is not the right word, but it's very, um, it takes a lot out of you to get onto a level with someone who's not doing well. And being able to attune with them. And that's something that most people that have really big traumas aren't able to do because no one did it them when they were younger like they never had the experience so attachment's so difficult so I think that's part of it too
0: that's awesome
1: um next is Anna T- Tui Sweet. Tui how do you Sweet. say that
0: Tui Anna Sweet. Anna Sweet. um she's she does work on like shadow work and genius work she works with entrepreneurs um The her i mean i I hope through our conversation that the listener was able to see like how transparent she is in the work that Mm -hmm. she does um that's like kind of the one thing that i've taken from her over the years that you know we've been friends and um kind of like colleagues in a sense she's got this amazing like calm with her and knowing that i i don't see that often I'm like I'm sure mm-hmm. my words are escaping me I don't see that often in other people and there's a knowing there's a trust and there is like a fortitude um and that's obviously come with her own work and I I you know I take that from her like all the time but I hope in that conversation that that's very apparent
1: mm-hmm. all right next we have James Culver
0: James, oh he was that was a very thick episode because he's coming yeah. from it from a very much like a trainer's aspect of unlearning. Mm-hmm. And so he shared all these great ways of looking at what what you do and observing and then undoing. um. And again, these frameworks that are like available that he's bringing into workplaces and kind of having conversations that so i took a training with him and it was unlike any other training i've taken because of his understanding of people in this sense and the thing is when we're in at our jobs or when we're interacting with people like having this like very foundational understanding of people is so important and the empathy the care um that he he has uh, um is really sounding and in the episode he shares one example of like how if you remove a trigger you have to like you know there's steps and I, this is like very, not my style um, at all but I also understand like people have different ways mm-hmm. of approaching this work right so he has different steps and he's like you know first you you have to like understand what the trigger is like once there's an outcome and there's like a trigger and then just like steps in between but he's like well you know he was he gave a very real example of how he would get off a call he would pop a pizza in the oven and then he would have dinner like in front of the tv but he said um and he said when he was like at thanksgiving he was visiting family and he couldn't like fit into some of his clothes or he was over the weight that he had thought he was um and that he thought was like healthy and whatnot so he thought well what if, what do i need to change in this chain of of activities like you know like i have work you know it's not really much i can change like i i'm popping the pizza in the oven or microwave or whatever it is um so instead of just that's where i'm like automatically or that's where he—that's where he's automatically taking action and where there could be, like, a change involved. So then he said, well, I started just buying and loading up my fridge full of soup. I've taken the trigger or taken that, that piece of it completely out of the equation. And it makes me think of, like, the environments that we're in and, like, at what point can we, like, completely remove certain things from our lives that no longer serve us? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, it goes from, like, little things like food, but then it can expand very much to like people and yeah. other situations.
1: Yeah, unlearning triggers is probably something we'll do until the day that we expire. <laughs> like we all have them words and different things just change the way our reactions are. And I love um my boyfriend and I got in like a we were talking about some heavy stuff one day and he said to me and I love this phrase, um can I give you a criticism? And that just did it for me because I was completely untriggered. He could have said the same thing that he said after asking the question. And I probably would have been like, what the heck, blah, blah, blah. But like, because he said that I knew what it was coming next. I knew that I would be able to respond in a certain way. And he asked me and I said, yes. So if I wasn't ready to hear it, I could have said no. And I knew that. So I feel like that was just something that he easily taught me about, like unlearning triggers. It's just know yourself basically as well as you can. All right, next we have Dr. Joni Terezi.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a big one. Grief, um, okay. grief and healing and loss. So Joni is doing work as a grief tender. So someone okay. who's helping helping the bereaved as well as, she's a death doula as well. So yeah, like we don't talk about death and it was just such a beautiful conversation. I mean, she and I have talked about death in general. <laughs> um over the years we've known each other and it was I think that you know my biggest thing taken from that episode was just how to say something instead of I'm sorry for your loss my thoughts are with you and your family like kind of the the standard things we say um and the term that or the phrase that she gave me was you know I'm feeling sorrow with your sorrow Mm -hmm. and I I have used variations of that. I mean, over the past few months, um, usually in text form, I haven't really said it to people because usually I'll, I'll say I'm so sorry, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we're, when I'm writing, like, you know, like on a Facebook post, like, you know, someone's parent has passed or their even their, their pet or something like that. Yeah. Um, I've used it and it's like, oh yeah, this is like, it feels good to express that I'm, I'm not just, sorry but i actually do feel like Mm -hmm. real sadness when someone else is experiencing that and so it almost is that like attunement and that empathy and play not from a separation standpoint but from uh we're in this together and when she talks about it you know she talks about how we in the episode she talks about how like we used to breathe in communities like we used to like we used to grieve and um not brief. we used to grieve in communities and we used to be with one another as we're going through these processes and now we're because of the way that we're structured, our society is structured, we don't actually have that. So the death is very much in at your house and not, it doesn't mm-hmm. affect me. So, so saying something like, I'm feeling sorrow with your sorrow or, or noting that there is some sort of communal hurt ex- experience because of the loss of this person, it kind of brings us back into that space of being in community. Yeah.
1: And I think that flows nicely into the next person. Um, I listened to this one, Nicole Harrison, with her kindness and just being kind to each other. I feel like that's a similar thread.
0: With Nicole's episode, it was really amazing because there were so many things that she talked about. And we we shared space with one another. We shared elementary school, like classrooms mm-hmm. and playgrounds and... And, and then further on um, into middle school. And what was astounding to me was like my biggest takeaway from that was we have no idea what people are going through. I mean, we just, there's just no way. And you can, I, I consider myself a very observant person. There's just no way. And and mm-hmm. I think that that lends itself to that kindness that she talks about and the empathy that we've been talking about because we have to come from a place where we are in we are desiring understanding Mm
1: -hmm.
0: of who the other person is what they're going through instead of judgment and instead of fear of whatever they are who you think they are um and it was just such a great reminder to always come from that place of choosing it's a choice choosing to be kind Mm -hmm. and choosing for to seek connection over um, separation.
1: Absolutely and I think what you said how we don't know each other I think that that comes from a very I know we say bullies treat you the way they do because that's who they, how they feel about themselves more often than not and I think that when we're that young we don't realize that so when we come at situations we look at everybody as if they understand us without even trying to understand them so I think that that's something that we have to unlearn as we age that we really don't know anyone, and the only way to do it is to sit down and have a conversation. We can think we know all we want about generalizations and what people's experiences and what they should say or shouldn't say, or especially politically, I think we do that all the time. Well, well, you did this, so of course you get to do that, or you said this, so you can't have that opinion like we're all full people, and we can all do whatever we want, and I think that's something that we need to come to all right, so the next I think it's one, two, three. Four people and we only have a few minutes, so let's do like a rapid fire Oh boy I'll give oh, you your name, but I'm really terrible at pronunciation so I apologize if I mispronounce anyone's name and then you can correct me if I'm wrong, but give me like I don't know one sentence on what that episode meant about unlearning and how it okay. helped you um, okay. Hannah Gardner
0: Oh um, oh I feel like I'm like in jeopardy letting go of perfection around living a toxic free life
1: there you go um raphael pastor i know that one was a really good one
0: yeah he was you could have that, two sentences <laughs> that whole bit about like how i will never be a parent but i can speak as someone's child i think we have oh, mm-hmm. something that's a that's like that's a loaded statement Absolutely. Right
1: um Jayan sung
0: oh oh janan janan song sorry um oh the connection to ancestors and healing was a big mm-hmm. point of our conversation. And she had some examples of healing that I hadn't heard of. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously there's plenty. Um, and it just reminded me that there's so much more to learn.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then the final guest, um, Jesse Colbert or Colbert.
0: Oh, Jesse. So she's running an event actually that by the time this airs will have happened, the big takeaway I had was that we don't have to experience something to fight for it. So she runs Mm -hmm. a nonprofit um, addressing postpartum depression, but she has never faced postpartum Mm -hmm. depression, experienced it. And at one point in the episode, she says something like the other issue is I've never experienced it. I'm like, well, actually who, we don't have to actually experience something to advocate for that to be eradicated, like racism, for Mm -hmm. instance, like you don't have to experience racism in order to say, Hey, it should be gone.
1: This is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, And and in fact, you actually have probably even more resource available for you to fight that because you haven't had to experience that and be triggered by it. So Mm -hmm. what better cause to fight for something when you haven't had to, when you've had the privilege of not experiencing or the, or the opportunity or the fortune of not experiencing it?
1: Absolutely. All right, so final question. Um, do we have any ideas for season three?
0: No, what are you thinking about? It's going to happen like <laughs> randomly when I'm clearing my desk full of junk and I happen upon a post that I wrote in like 1995.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> on, their, on your season recap for season one, you did mention unlearning for season two. So that's why I yeah.
0: wanted to ask. Uh, No, I, I don't have anything. Um, I've had, I'm trying to think of any ideas I've had. I have had a couple of like floating around it certainly will be um, something that I've talked about before. I don't think mm-hmm. that there's something, and you know, I don't expect a new idea to come my way. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I well, okay. I think that coming to mind right now, um, identity around motherhood. I, I kind of want to talk about like empty nesting, mm-hmm. like when that when that happens, or maybe the transitions to motherhood. I don't know. That might be something. Um, the what was the other thing that I just had in mind I forget I don't know what do you think like you have any ideas for me
1: I don't um I just love the idea of the name of your podcast being all the things because I don't think you can ever have something that doesn't fit under that main context (laughs) um so I just love that
0: (laughs) yeah I had a hard time honing in I have had probably like 15 podcast names um and I almost love the
1: idea what you were talking about I think it's Raphael said it um Like, we might not all know how to be a parent, but we all know how to be a child. And just even getting other people's opinions on, like, what being a child was for them. And if they were, if they weren't a parent, how that would impact the decisions.
0: Mm. Okay. There's one um, podcast I listen to occasionally, um, Unmistakable, I believe it's called. And he starts the episode saying, like, what did you do in high school? Or, like, where would I find you in, like, the cafeteria or something like that? Um, I think that says so much about like who we are.
1: Yeah. When I was, um, doing online dating, <laughs> they always ask you like, have like a question that's fun to start with. And I just, I don't know, like for me, like that's just so awkward to come up with something. So I used to ask people what their favorite Ninja Turtle was. And I'm like, if they pick Leonardo or Donatello, they're leaders and they're constructive. But if it was Raphael or Michelangelo, that's a red flag. And we're going to say no. <laughs> and like, Completely not realistic in any way. But I remember one guy, it was like the second time I used it was like, I think that you're really immature and I don't want to meet you. And I'm like, you have no idea who I am. And I'm trying to be fun. And like, maybe I'm not, but I don't want to talk to you either. So it's just funny, like how you could have a question like that. And I don't know, maybe you could come up with something funny like that.
0: Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle?
1: <laughs>
0: Mine? Yeah. Um,
1: Leonardo all the way. Mm. He was the leader. He always had a good plan. Sometimes it didn't work out. Very type A.
0: Yeah. Mine was Michelangelo.
1: Oh, no. Can't be friends. <laughs> I'm done here. <laughs> and again, totally has no understanding of it, but I did seem like a good icebreaker.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I do know you have to head out. So it was a pleasure interviewing you. I hope I, I did your season well, your oh, season no, finale. You. Um, And I'm grateful
0: to have had this experience. I'm so excited that, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, No, I appreciate your jumping on and accepting this because I know that you also have put it out there that you want to be hosting some podcasts Mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to that and look forward to sharing that with my listeners so that they can hear more from you.
1: Sounds good. All right, Lisa. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of the day.
0: Thank you, too. Thank you for tuning into the final episode of season two. I am so incredibly grateful for everyone who's listened this season for all of the guests I've had and for the amazing feedback and words of encouragement that I've heard from my, my listeners. And I'm just so grateful. I will be taking a hiatus between season two and season three. There will be a season three. I have some ideas after my conversation with Joanna and some things that have happened this week. Um, But until then, please follow me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. And also sign up for my newsletter at LisaForReal.com so that you can be one of the first to know what when season three is launching um, what the theme will be and what to look forward to so until then i hope you take care i hope you stay well i hope you continue to do things that you love i hope you continue to bring your good into the world and i really just appreciate